Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Coventry Sphinx podcast, a podcast about a non-league football club. I'm Chris Nee, and in this episode I'll be talking about off-the-pitch matters with the club's decision makers. Coventry Sphinx Football Club has teamed up with developers Wellington Arch on a plan that would regenerate scrubland around our ground and provide more than 100 new homes. At its heart, the club would be gifted the freehold to the ground, which we would own outright for the first time in our history. At the end of the episode, I'll give you this information again, but if you'd like to offer your support to the club in obtaining that freehold, you can have your say on the joint application via the planning portal on the Coventry City Council website, which is planning.coventry.gov.uk. The reference number is OUT 20210104. That's OUT 20210104. With the plan submitted and planning consultation ongoing, I thought I'd break the podcast COVID silence by talking to the people who know the score. So I grabbed some time with Danny Carhill, Joey Fletcher and Neil Buswell to get the lowdown. And here it is. We have three new voices with us today, so let's begin with some introductions to our football club trustees. I'll ask each of you to tell us your name and your role at Coventry Sphinx Football Club and everything else. My name is Neil Buswell. I'm a trustee and I'm also the treasurer of the social club and football club. I'm Joe Fletcher. I am Vice Chairman of the Football Club and Chairman of the Social Club. I'm Danny Carhill, Chairman of the Football Club, Trustee and Licensee. Our club goes back 75 years this year, which we're very proud of. And I think we consider ourselves a club with history. Joe, why don't you give us a short version of the history of the club? Short version. <laughs> right, here <laughs> go. Obviously, my involvement started probably over 30 years ago. I came here as a 21-year-old uh, player, uh, played for the club for ever since, really. And through them years, uh, was very successful playing-wise on the field. Uh, won no end of trophies with the club. Uh, then, obviously, age got the better of me and uh, retired from football. But obviously, st- uh, kept involved with the club as secretary to the first team, as assistant manager to the first team. Uh, so I've done all the roles uh, within the club and as you say as times move on we've seen different managers over the years and all been very successful uh, obviously when we first when I started first day we had two teams that's all we had uh, that was a first team and a reserve side but over the number of years we've improved on that and obviously we are where we are today with th- over 30 odd sides I think involved I- in the club so uh, we've grown as a club over the number of years. Uh, obviously, people, lots and lots of people over the years have helped in many ways and probably are no longer here. Uh, have either passed away or moved on to passage new. But obviously, the club uh, keeps growing and we're hopefully getting better and better year by year. And we're not just a non-league football club, Dan. We've got a junior section that we're all very pleased with and very proud of as well. Yes, we, we have. If you go back to the mid to late 90s, um, we started off with uh, four teams. Um, and um, prior to that, my, my association with the Sphinx was that, yes, I played here, but I was nowhere in the same league as my colleague here, Joey, is locally is known as the legend. Scored a few goals, I'm told. Well, he keeps on telling us that. We can't <laughs> get away from it. But, um, you know, I've known Joey for, for many years. We were at school together and whatever. And... Uh, uh, we had these aspirations of trying to look to grow the junior section. Um, we had several conversations, and as I say, we started with four teams, and we're now, you know, we're approaching the thirty. So um, it has been successful, um, and you know, the club has continued to grow, which is fantastic. Do you consider yourself a custodian of all of that history? 
Yes, we've played our part. I, I have to say that both past and present associates with the club have got us to where we are today. It isn't down to the three of us. You know, if you look back, even before Joe um, played here, everybody has played their part in history. You know, as you say, Neil Quart, you know, we're into our 75th year. That in itself is a fantastic achievement. And, um, you know, long late, you know, may it continue. Which of you was first involved at trustee level altogether? Uh, I was involved uh, on the committee uh, many years ago, of the Sphinx Committee, but I found it hard work, to be honest. I think it was run by people that didn't really have a clue what they were doing. So I I didn't have a great involvement in it, uh, morely concentrated on, on the, the football club. But without the, the social club, the football club, would struggle for a home. So that was uh, one of the reasons I stayed on the committee. Uh, but as you say, as custodians, that's what we are. We are custodians of this club and we will eventually pass the baton on to someone else to carry on the, the work we've done. Like people have passed the baton on to us many years ago and that's how it will uh, continue. We had no security whatsoever on this site. Uh, it was owned by Rolls-Royce. Uh, Rolls-Royce got into a position, a company position where they wanted no longer to have any involvement whatsoever within the club. Uh, they were spending an average of 100, well, losing an average of £120,000 per year just having the club here. So they wanted to get rid of that responsibility and um, hand it over to the club. But obviously with that comes the responsibility of paying all the bills, the rates, everything. Groundsmen paying for everything. Uh, the old committee were very reluctant to take that responsibility on. And that's where... As a football committee, we stepped in and offered to take the running of the club over as well. And I think if we hadn't have done that, two weeks down the road, the club would have been locked up and the football team finished. So it was a big ask for us to do, but it was a case of it was the only way to save the football club. Uh, so we've taken that responsibility on. Uh, we managed uh, to, after three years of negotiation, managed to squeeze a, a very good lease out of Rolls-Royce. Now, one thing I will say, Rolls-Royce were fantastic with us in them negotiations. And as you say, that secured our future. So we've got a 25-year lease running. Well, it's not a running lease, but I think we've got 23 years left on it at the moment. But that's the situation we're in at the moment. Uh, but obviously, we, we're not under threat of being kicked out in two or three years' time. We've got longer terms for the club that we'll come on to, but would you say that that is part of the reason why stability is such a key word for the development of the club as well as just massive, how we're operating today? Massive. As soon, you'll notice as soon as we uh, got that lease, the first thing we did was build a 3G facility paid for by the club so there wasn't we didn't borrow any money obviously we had investors that came in and helped us but this is you know the kind of money we want to invest in the club because we've got security yeah once you get a a, a long lease of, of that sort of length 25 years it opens the doors to quite a lot of funding that's available from various sports bodies and governments and things like that so as joey said it enabled us to build the 3G and, and then and, and move forward. Because before, before we had the lease, it was just like a sort of a rolling 12-month lease, which obviously you couldn't make any plans for the future with that sort of arrangement. And of course, with um, uh, securing a long-term lease, it allowed us then to invest, um, in, particularly in the football, um, on the basis that um, the club's growing and it's growing um, every season. So we, as a three, decided that we needed a sound foundation. We are in debt with nobody. Um, we make decisions based on the fact of securing 
our future. We don't make any decisions lightly. We debate it an awful lot. If it's the right thing to do and it washes its face, then we will go for it. What was the club like on the pitch when you first got involved at, we'll call it trustee level? Uh, Pitch-wise, very successful. Very, very successful. Uh, as you say, the swings throughout Coventry is it's well-renowned name, you know, and well-respected name uh, on a football basis. So, yeah, everyone knows the swing. But, uh, and we've worked hard to get that. Yeah, we, we have worked hard. And we've had, worked hard to to keep it established as a as a, prog- a club that's progressing all the time. Uh, but I think if you ask anyone around the Midlands now, they'll, they'll have heard of the Sphinx in football circles. As you say, yeah, always been very, very successful. Uh, I think we had a manager, Paul Charnley, uh, and I think he was the most successful manager we had. I think, you know, he won the Midland Combination promotion. He won the Telegraph Cup, the Bedford Nursing Cup, a very, very talented side. We had and took us through yeah. to the quarter quarterfinals of the FA Vars, which was a massive achievement for a team at our level. And to be honest, we should have been in the semi final. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> we, that's, that's, a, that's a debate, you know. That um, bless him, AD, if he's listening, that was a definite penalty. Um, and okay. uh, the referee, I think, got cold. It was in extra, no, sorry, it was in, in uh, injury time, and he blew the whistle. Um, the ironic part of all of this is the side that beat us actually went to Wembley that year and won it, and then now called AFC AFC filed. So that we were that close, um, and you know we're determined to get back to that uh, uh, position. Fantastic! The buzz around around uh, Coventry at that particular time. Uh, no disrespect to the Sky Blues, but they were struggling, and it would have been nice that Coventry Spinks could have been the next Coventry club to play at the new Wembley. You know, it didn't happen. That's football. The nice thing is that we know we're capable of doing it. It's just having that little bit of, sometimes you need the rub of the green. And in that quarterfinal, we didn't get the rub of the green, full stop. So you say you need that little bit of luck, but at least we know we are capable of getting to them sort of venues. So it keeps us going every year. So when the FA Vars and the FA Cup come along, it's fantastic for us as a club. What would you say are the other highlights of the time that you've had as chairman, vice chairman? We won the Midland Combination after coming very close on a couple of occasions, didn't we? We we we, we were runners up to Atherston with a record number of points for runners up and record goals and that sort of thing. And the following year we got promoted, so that was a highlight. As we mentioned, the Vars is probably the biggest highlight, but we had quite a few trips to Highfield Road, didn't we, in yeah, the in the in Telegraph Cup in that yeah. period, in the, in the cha- Charity Cup and, and uh, the, um, the the other Cups. It was, there's been a few. The highlight, I think, was the, probably the the round before the quarterfinal down at uh, Stan, Stanway. I think that was the biggest and highlight if of, I remember of right, my involvement in the club. Did we, not, did we not use West Ham United's training ground? Yeah, Neil Long organised, well, fair play to Long, he was... Heavily involved in the club at the time. Uh, he organised for the players to stop overnight, train at West Ham's training ground before uh, in the morning before the game and then did the same for the quarterfinal where we trained at, uh, at Carrington uh, before the game against Kirkham and Weshaw. I think Neil organised all that. So, But they were highlights. They were fantastic highlights for the team. But as committee and supporters, I think Stanway was the, the highlight that was a tremendous evening. I remember going back into the bar afterwards and the results were coming through on Sky News and we could see our name on the ticker at the That's bottom. Right. 
that was unreal. The the as a consequence of that uh, association with West Ham, further on into the season, uh, Kirbishley um, was the manager, and they were playing Coventry in a League Cup. If I remember at the Rico, and they asked if they could use our ground as a uh, training during the day prior to the game. Of course, we were delighted to do it. Um, we were told to keep the press away because there was a certain Craig Bellamy in the squad. But again, you know, something like that, you know, PR cost us nothing. And, you know, you've got the likes of West Ham United getting in contact with us, see if they could use our facilities. And Kirbishley, if I remember, mm. Joe, complimented. He said, "The pit, this is fantastic. What level you guys are? And, you know, it's brilliant. I think a great thing is, as well is obviously uh, cup finals and stuff like that, especially on the junior side, to go and watch the, the kids play in finals or league games, but mainly finals, which the youth, well, the youth and the juniors have been very successful at. It, it, it's a pleasure to watch them play and how much they enjoy actually playing for the Sphinx. So, yeah, that gives us great pleasure as well. One, one of the, uh, you mentioned highs, uh, particularly at juniors. Uh, one that springs to mind is the presentation night that we had at the Hilton. There was over 500 people at it. We had, uh, bless him, Jeff Foster from the BBC. He was just, memory. he could not believe that this was going on. And one of the things that we always ensure, particularly with the, um, the the juniors, is that they're the stars of the show and we put a show on for them. And to get uh, an under seven player on the stage of a certain category, I don't know, it could be manager's player, and he's standing alongside the older age groups, all wearing the same, all wearing the badge, um, is, you know, I will never forget that night. That was an awesome night. Another occasion was down in Bournemouth. I think, Joe, you were there. Buzzer, you may have been there as well. We took basically the whole club down to Bournemouth for a tournament, and uh, Dave Bassett was the celebrity giving the trophies out, and to a player and parent who represented this football club, all our opponents that went up, they got a standing ovation from all our players and parents. And Dave Bassett, if I remember, turned around and said, I haven't got a son, but if I had, that's the club he'd go and play for. And, you know, that was that was fantastic. Dave Bennett, Benno, well, we all know Dave Bennett, particularly in the city of Coventry. Um, he comes down here quite often. He's always asking how we get on. He's involved with the uh, walking football that we have down here now during the week. That will be starting up again, I think, tomorrow. So, yeah, you know, links with the local community is fantastic. Um, Lowe's, uh, the passing of Nibbo, that I think was, that shocked all of us. Um, Joe, you more, was it, it was a League Cup, wasn't it? It was a League Cup game we were playing in uh, Mia in Stoke-on-Trent. And for some reason, I, I don't know, I can't even remember why, I didn't make that trip that day. And I would normally be with, with Nibbo in the car and on the way back, uh, they've had an accident, they've run into a tree, the smallest tree you've ever seen in your life, you think that wouldn't do any damage to anyone. And unfortunately, Nibbo lost his life over it. As you say, to the club, it was the biggest shock any of us ever had it it shook the the club to, to its foundations it cool, yeah, yeah. It, it was a massive massive sphinx person again like me he'd been involved for years and years years player manager uh, so yeah it, it was a massive blow to us but i think it made the club stronger because everyone even all the players that you know like had stopped playing got back involved with the club you know like to, to see what nibbo wanted was the club being successful so massive shot then obviously we, we've got ex-chairman like ron cooper who was a fantastic bloke as well uh ron passed away uh 
Uh, Kevin Whitehall, another one who was chairman of the club, he's passed away. And then we had the tragic death of uh, Paul Gibbons as well. Gibber. Again, another massive blow to the club because he, uh, he was well loved by by everyone. I don't think you could speak to anyone who had a bad word to say about Gibber. And of course, Pongo. And Pongo as well. Yeah, so they're all, they're all shocking deaths. Pongo, you know, like a young lad, a lot younger than me, uh, I played with Pongo. Fantastic lad. Uh, and again, you know, just a shock. But I think in the long run, it's made the club stronger because we see what we're, we're doing it for. Uh, it means a lot for us to, to do it for the memory of these people. So. And in recognition to, to, to the three lads and their families, uh, our rooms are named after them. Nibbo's in the function room, Gibbo's is obviously the lounge, and Pongo in the bar. Um, I've got a little story about Gibbo. I remember the last game of the season, um, and he, he, Brummy lad, was he a Blues fan? What a fantastic influence in, in, in at senior level. And uh, I remember talking to him last game of the season um, and he broke down and he was crying in the in the lounge. And he says, that's it, Dan, my football career's over. I said, no, it's just starting. I want you to get involved in the juniors. And his eyes pricked and he said, I fancy a bit of that. And his eldest lad, Daniel, uh, was of age um, and Gibbo took it on board. Um, very excited. He was very excitable, wasn't he? And uh, he just couldn't believe he was given this opportunity. And um, obviously then leading up to the season, there were the um, the portable goals were delivered to his house. And his wife told me that, you know, he was that excited. He tried to put the post together in his kitchen, knocking <laughs> cups, saucers and everything over. And then, you know, he'd meet up with the lads, you know, his team. And uh, he phoned me up and he said, oh, I've got me a tournament. Um, pre-season over in Brinklow do you mind coming over and giving me a hand I said pleasure and uh, I will never forget Gibbo running up and down the sideline kicking every ball heading every ball but he was coming out with terms hold turn you know um, to seven year old kids who would not understand and he, and he said to me afterwards they're not listening <laughs> I said Gibbo not, they don't understand you've got to start from he was he was a superstar he was a superstar uh, greatly missed by everybody and as a consequence of, of that, we have an annual award uh, as Clubman of the Year, and it's dedicated, it's called the Gibbo Award now. Um, the, other, the other thing I'll, I'll also like to bring in is that you'll notice in our corridors, we've got lots of photographs um, of past players, current players, and all the rest of it. We have actually got past players who left because they were of age, they were raising a family, they're now coming back in as junior managers with players. So, you know, every so often you can look down the corridor and you can see dad showing their sons this was him. When you know, It's a family club and it's not a football team. It is a football club. I think as a club, I've come in later than all of this, but you get a sense of that, that family feeling and all of these people that, that you never met that are such a part of the fabric of the place. And we've got rooms named after some of them. We've got a stand named after one of them. Nibbo, yeah. Um, and the only way as a club that we can really do justice to their legacy is to, to progress ourselves as a football club, which I didn't meet them, but I feel fairly certain that is what they, they would have wanted for this place. And we're going through um, consultation now for plans for development on and around this site in partnership with Wellington Arch. What can you... Tell us about how that came about. Rolls-Royce decided that um, they were clearly going through difficult times 
um, and there was a six thousand people being made redundant, and so on and so forth. So they needed to offload um, sporting arenas, not just here in Coventry, but um, around the country. So um, they put it up for sale. And again, you know, Rolls Royce, you know, hats off to them. Um, you know, they wanted to make sure that they could do as much as possible to protect the sporting the sporting facility. And they knew the well, they know the three of us. We sold, I say, our dream to them, and um, we're in the position we are now. They sold it. Um, the new developer came in. And uh, as a consequence, um, you know, they wanted to know about what happens here. Clearly, it's a football club with um, other sports facilities, other sporting events going on. And um, to secure the freehold of this, we went into a joint application to the council. Um, and if it comes true, and hopefully, fingers crossed, it does, then, you know, the conversation that we had in the car park many years ago about you know, where's this club going? What can we do? Is hopefully we'll be able to get over the line and, and move on and plan to move on. I think this, the secret was if we hadn't assigned that 25-year lease at the time, <laughs> we're we gone. were gone. We were in trouble. We were in massive yes, trouble. We were. So when Rolls-Royce, obviously they decided two years after we signed the lease that they were getting rid of all the land. Simple as a commercial decision. They sold every bit of land they had, just sold it off. But obviously, we've still got a 25-year lease on it. So any new buyer coming in has to deal with us. That's so, one of the lease. So Wellington Arch came forward. And to be honest, they've been a pleasure to deal with. Uh, there was lots of other developers in it. But they didn't have they seemed, they didn't have the same concern as Wellington Arch have got that they want to look after the club. So that was a, a massive boost to us. And what we're talking about as a plan is 200-odd homes, including social retirement housing, it's not as many. I think they've reduced the housing element there. They've reduced it according to, obviously, they've had consultation with uh, local residents, council and stuff like that. So it's been back and forth. The first one was 200 houses. I think the, the second, they're probably on the third edition now. And it's been reduced to obviously try and uh, to help out with the uh, complaints that the, uh, the local residents have got. So they're trying every, everything in their power to make everyone happy. It won't make everyone happy, but you know, like they're, they're trying their best to uh, satisfy everyone's needs. So, most of the land that's being used is completely derelict at the moment, anyway. Yeah, yeah, completely derelict, overgrown, private land that's never been open to the public. As you say, it's land that's owned, was owned by Rolls Royce, now owned by the new developer. Uh, so, no one's got access to it. It's private land, and it's but it is very dangerous down there. So, uh, so it's the old golf course, and uh, that's what they want to develop. So. You know, we think it's going to be good for the community and it's hopefully win-win all round. In effect, this is the podcast of the football club, so I'm speaking as a football supporter and the thing that jumps out to me, as I'm sure it does for you, is the freehold to the the ground. Uh, Tell us a bit about why that's so important for how we progress on the pitch. We can get even more funding when you own own the land. I mean, funding organisations will give you money, but if you've only got a lease albeit for 25 years, then the money that the funders have given to you just expires, doesn't it? It, it just disappears. Whereas if you've got the, own the freehold, it's there for As you say, ever. what we've got is control of our total destiny. That's what we've got. If, they, if it comes off, touch wood, it does. That's what we've got. Before, we never had that. They say we had a lease, but obviously that lease only lasted 23 years. So after 23 years, we could be again thrown off the site. Uh, so it secures the whole future for the club, 
for forever. Virtually. Generations. We're custodians of the club. And this will pass on to other people. And what a great opportunity. The number of conversations I've had with people over the years and said, oh, I've won the lottery by the Sphinx. 100%. So, and that dream has come true. And see, the, the, other, the other thing, of course, is, is that um, on the committee, um, and which includes us three, um, we don't have, our, our children have gone through. You know, they played here. And I think, Joe, it's just your granddaughter, isn't it? I've Peyton's granddaughter. still with us. Yeah, plays for the but, girls' team. Um, Andrew and our Daniel, same age, they've gone through, Joseph and Liam. Um, and they still care about it. And, you know, that's the whole premise of being associated with a, a, a club such as ours. Um, you know, we can all hold our heads up high, as can ex-players of ours. Um, you know, that, wow, you know, this is... You know, destiny certainly would be in our hands. And, you know, we want to grow. There's no question about that. It isn't a matter of sitting back and saying, okay, we achieved it. The day, if it comes and we get what we're after, that's the first day of hard work because then we really will start progressing. And I have to make this point. We are not in competition with Coventry City Football Club, quite the opposite. We talk to Dave Body quite often um, and anything we can do to help them and vice versa um, you know, we're in partnership. Uh, there's nothing legally binding, but we're certainly not in competition with Coventry City. In fact, uh, the three of us are, and majority of supporters um, and players here are Sky Blues fans. But, you know, there's something about Coventry Spinks. Once you get it in and it's under your skin, you can't get rid of it. And um, it's a great place to be. Um, for me, um, it starts, you know, we've got to bring um, uh, Soccer Rocks into this as well. Um, you know, he's bringing children in at three or four years of age. And, you know, they're using our facilities and Tom and his team are fantastic to deal with. And they're actually producing the next generation of players to this football club. Um, one of the other uh, really important points is that whether you're six years of age or you're playing for the first team, you all wear the same kit, you all wear the same badge, so you've got identity. And uh, also in each age group, you may have um, um, children of from um, uh, with single parents. It doesn't matter what your background is. Children will come here because they love football. And while they're with us, all our coaches who, you know, hands up to all our coaches and managers. They do it for nothing. You can actually instill good things, skills, respect skills. Um, and while you've got a captive audience because they love football, we can start instilling things into that. Uh, respect of referees, because without referees, we haven't got a game. Um, you know, you could have an, a, a, any age group, over 100 supporters, and they'll all be screaming at a referee. His mum and dad might be there. You know, that is not fair. You've got to respect them. And, you know, there is a culture here that, you know, every pound that comes in, every player, junior level, will get a part of it. I've turned, I've handed back checks to fathers who would give me a check for a thousand pounds and I'd say everybody he said no no it's just for my son's team I hand it back if one team gets a bag they all get a bag um, that's important that's important because if they've got aspirations at playing at youth team level in the FA Youth Cup uh, under floodlights and playing for the first team we need to get them part as quickly as possible part of this football club and it's important there's no elitism you know 
when we started out on this journey, certainly at, um, at junior level, um, we had a lot of serious people around the table. And for my involvement, it was quite simple. We're going to do this properly. It isn't about me. It's about others. And, you know, as a consequence of that, we got we were the first club in Coventry to achieve the FA Charter, which totally protects children. It makes sure that all our coaches are qualified to a certain level. And it's just a pleasure to be involved in it. And I'm sure the two lads would agree with that. What we're talking about is the character of the club. And as a supporter, even my, my involvement here is first team level. But as a supporter, it's important to me that the club has a character like that and that we treat referees, parents, kids with respect but also the local community and that's where the, the development crosses over with everything which is we need to be a positive part of the community our involvement locally has to be genuine and i guess that you all share that as a committee yeah yeah 100%. 100%. definitely we've had we've had experiences where you know um a, a child would turn up and his parents have paid 120 pounds for a pair of boots think he's going to be a superstar you know, and then you've got another boy, probably from a single parent, who's got a pair of second-hand boots. That guy or that child with second-hand boots is as as important as anybody. You know, it's about you know what I love about it is it it brings in people from all backgrounds, no matter who you are and what you are, in to an, an environment that um, that offers them um, security. It offers them um, a sport that they love. And while we've got them, we can do other things with them. We can teach them about respect. And, you know, sadly, um, that's lacking. Um, but we, we, we do. Yeah, and one of my frustrations, and I, I know it's for, the, the, um, for Neil and Joe, is that there's a hell of a lot of activities that happen up here um, on a Saturday morning or a Sunday. You know, I need time off. And so does Joe and Buzzy. I mean, you know, I'd love to come up and meet all the parents, all the players, but it's just impossible. You know, it's it's hard work. Um, but hey, that's one of the pitfalls of getting and growing. Like, yeah, community-wise as well. Obviously, we 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 run a bonfire night, it's spectacular, and we invite all the local neighbours. We put leaflets through their their doors, you know, asking them to get involved. And to be honest, usually a great night. It's a fantastic night. Then we'll put functions on in the room and stuff like that. But uh, in the past, the community hasn't really supported the club because I don't know the thought. I don't know if they think the club's a private club and no one's allowed to come near it. We're totally open. Anyone's welcome. If they want to come up and have a pint, no problem whatsoever. Bring your kids, your wife, family. There's no issues whatsoever. And I think that's the good thing we've got over in this development that's going on that we are part of the community and that's what we want to be. We want to be a hub for the community. You must all be looking forward to football as much as I am. I'm, in all honesty, I'm glad the season's come to an end because I think it would be a bit of a farce trying to carry it on. Uh, let's stop it and we start again in August. And hopefully it's not closed down again after that. And come back healthier and stronger yeah, and all yeah. the rest of it. Give it 12 months and it might be a distant memory. Well, I'm looking forward to watching some live football because it's a bit boring watching this stuff on the television with no crowds or anything like that I, you know just just meeting the people of course we miss all all all, all the lads and and we love the buzz the, the place is dead yeah, that's it. That's the place the, is the dead and that, it's right the people that are the heartbeat of the, of, of the club and uh, you know um you know soon as this lockdown uh, finishes the better there's nothing better than a full a full clubhouse particularly at the end of games particularly if you've won of course but yeah, you know we're we're um, we're hopeful. 
um, that uh, we're well, we are coming to the end. Can't wait to see you, Callum. Oh, <laughs> but uh, the the um, you know, I've got to say, I'm going to give a couple of shout outs here. Um, Craig Herbert, ex pro, he's involved in the juniors. Um, another fella, uh, Steve Shea. Uh, between the three of us in the first lockdown, I'd like to personally thank the pair of them because we managed to get some video messages from past and present pros. Even Howard Webb sent us a, a video um, standing on Brooklyn Bridge, I think, in New York. Um, so a big shout out to them. And I'd also like to, you know, hope and pray that everybody's kept themselves safe and that all our players have been out in the back garden, probably broken a few fence panels, um, you know, doing their ball skills. And if there's any parents out there that need any fence repairs, if they give us a ring, I'll send my brother around. <laughs> Thanks to Danny, Joey and Neil for talking to me this week. Now you've heard what our three trustees have to say, I'm sure you'd offer your support to Coventry Sphinx as we work to obtain a freehold on our ground. You can do so by visiting the Coventry City Council website at planning.coventry.gov.uk, searching the planning portal and back in the joint application. One last time, the reference number is OUT 2021-0104. Of course, all this happening off the pitch is important, but getting players back on it is what we all really want. And we're starting to get some movement on that at last with the new season on the horizon. Football matches are looking like a possibility as we wait for the serious stuff to return. Keep an eye on the club's social media for updates as non-league football gradually comes back. I'll be back when there's something to say. See you then.